0: Welcome to the Westside Gathering podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in.
1: Hey, if you're here for the first time and um, you've never been here before, uh, you know, we we, we change um, topics and series and often go through, uh, you know, sometimes go through a book in the Bible, sometimes uh, often go through a book in the Bible, uh, then sometimes take some biblical themes and apply it to our lives personally in some ways. And today, we're doing something that we've done for the last four years. Every fall or so season, we've taken a few weeks to jump into a spiritual practice uh, or a spiritual discipline, a practice that helps us grow. We've, we've talked through worship in the past years and reading scripture and prayer. And uh, last year, we talked about discernment. And so, Today we're gonna we're gonna lean into a different topic, but I the, the reason we do this is because we, you know, from time to time over our Sunday gatherings, we want to root ourselves in God's story for sure. We want to engage with Scripture uh, on a deep level, but learning practices is another is another, is also part of our diet, I guess, throughout the year on Sundays because spiritual practices form us in our love for God and our love for others. And uh, really, as, as we grow as disciples of Jesus. Now, I know, I bet you there's some people here uh, that have a tension with, with spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. Sometimes they're like, is it really necessary? Like, Like... You know these practices that we engage or uh, we encourage one another to kind of follow through on a regular basis are they necessary sometimes that 's the question uh, if you 've come from a background that was very ritualistic or religious, you might be like a little bit hesitant when we when we worked through the lord 's prayer a few years ago, some just engaged it with a fresh heart. And some were like, I remember praying that every day and I just feel like it was like my teacher made me pray it. And then like they had to kind of like rethink about it a little bit more. Some of us have tension with spiritual practices because it feels like it's like works oriented. Like I got to do this for God to love me. Uh, I got to do this so God accepts me. And that's not the case. Um, My wife and I try our best to enjoy walks in our neighborhood and uh, take a 20 or 30 or longer minute walk. And it's not a law, it's not forced, it's not like number seven on the 21 laws of marriage. You know, it's like take a walk every day with your wife because, or your, your spouse. So it's not that, but we do do it. And it helps us to get outside. It helps us to move a bit. But here's what it does for us. It creates space uh, for us to connect with one another. It, it creates space for us to talk. It creates space without, you know, phones or other distractions for us to reflect on things, to nurture our relationship. And so it's really, a, it's a helpful practice that we engage in that no one forces us to do but we feel it's a healthy practice for us because it nurtures a really important part of our life. And that's kind of what a spiritual practice is. It's, we call it a means of grace to make space to be present for God's presence, to make space to be present for God's voice, uh, to make space and in our lives and our hearts so we can be formed in the way of Jesus. And um, often when I, uh, I like to do prayer walks um, Around my area, or even here at the church, or in pockets of the West Island, and often the first thing, like when I start a prayer walk, I often recite Psalm 27:4. You can go look it up, and I I love reciting that just that verse because in that moment, as I start to walk and as I just begin reciting that that, just that psalm, uh, it just helps me to become more aware of God's presence. That He's already there. He's already with me. He's He's you know it's like I'm not I'm not forcing God to show up on my walk. You know like He's already there. And, and often, before I read Scripture, I take a minute or so and I just, uh, like we've done today, just take a breath uh, to really remind me that I want to, you know, inhale the presence of God metaphorically and then, you know, exhale the other distractions in my life. And so that's a practice that I often use just before I read Scripture because it, it just helps me be, to become more available to listen to God's voice. Some of you, when you read Scripture, Um, will stop and pause and circle a word. And that little practice helps that word or that theme just get rooted in your heart in a different way than just skimming by it, right? These are just kind of examples of of spiritual practices. Today, we're, we're starting one that maybe is uh, foreign or unfamiliar to you, or some of you maybe have had a bad taste for it because it actually involves eating or not eating, and it's the practice of fasting. We're going to talk about fasting, and um, some of you are like, can we actually talk about fasting for a few weeks? Like, what is there? You just don't eat. That's it. Like, that's the deal, right? But fasting has been practiced among Christians for uh, 2,000 years since, since, uh, you know, since the early church practice uh, in Judaism. Uh, before that, it it's not uh, exclusive, you know, just fasting is not exclusive to Christianity or Judaism, um, but it's, it, we see it in Scripture. Moses fasted, David fasted, Ezekiel fasted, um, Elijah, sorry, Esther, Daniel fasted. There's a woman in the, in the New Testament in Luke chapter 2, we, we see, we read that she's fasting and worshiping together. Uh, we read that Paul fasted, Jesus fasted. So we see these examples in Scripture. There's an early church document called the Didache that taught the early church uh, and helped shape them as they moved forward post the apostles. And uh, they, they encouraged the church to fast on Wednesdays and Thursdays. As we look through history, Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Wesley, uh, other uh, leaders uh, you know, that God has used in the church over the centuries have often practiced this spiritual practice of fasting. Now, some have a negative view of fasting because it's tied to like some extreme religious uh, f- fanaticism. Uh, or if you've watched or read books by Dan Brown and, you know, like the Da Vinci Code and Inferno and stuff like that, often they highlight this, uh, this group, uh, you know, um, kind of connected to a Catholic society called Opus Dei, which they would like, like hit themselves to almost like feel this punishment as if it was God's punishment. And, and so some of us like, re- you know, think of a, a practice like this as that's like religious fanaticism, so we stay away. Uh, some of us think of it maybe as because the enlightenment in the 18 and 1900s as the, as the world and Western civilization started to get smarter and smarter and smarter, so, so we think, uh, and, and innovations was sparked by that, there was this emphasis on reason and emphasis on rationalism and it's like, well, why fast? Like, we're going to figure all this out. Like, we, we're good, you know? And so that is sometimes the reaction to something like fasting, and one of the results in the church. World um, and in, in spiritual formation and discipleship was there was not one single book written on fasting for about 100 years, between 1861 and 1954. Now if you know anything about Christians, Christians like to write books. It's the whole like industry, you know? Um, they like to write books. For a hundred years, no one wrote a book on fasting. They just forgot about it. They just kind of like let it go. Yet we see it in Scripture. It's practiced and referenced by Jesus. We see it in the early church. But I bet that if I asked us a survey, where have you seen or heard about fasting, it's, you might even be fasting right now for physical purposes. It's like a some diet trend, right? Like, eight, I don't know if it's the 8-hour fast, the 12-hour fast. What's the most popular fast, a 16-hour fast, what is it? You don't know? I'm just, I'm not putting you on the spot, but <laughs> I just did. Anyways, so, so but, but that's it, right? Like, if you, like, Google on Amazon, or, go, sorry, Google on Amazon, that's really weird. I'm just like... <laughs> put two of the giant tech companies together that are ruling the world. Anyways, let's spread them apart. If you look for a book on fasting, 100% you're going to find something that comes up that's physical health oriented on like how many hours a day and all that kind of stuff. You're going to come across a detox strategy, you know, every month or whatever, every three months, don't eat for this and drink cod liver oil and whatever and like make sure that you like completely detox your system. And so fasting for many of us, I'm just, it's just a hunch, has become more of a physical diet than a spiritual discipline. And that's not bad. Like, some of those fasts, I mean, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not telling you which ones are good. I'm just saying some of those fasts aren't bad. They're okay for our physical health. But I believe many of us, and especially in culture, fasting has become more of a physical diet than a spiritual discipline. Here's the basics of fasting, as we're gonna lean into scripture in a moment. I mean, fasting is really simple. We like to say, you know, I'm going to fast from my phone or I'm going to fast from something. Fasting ultimately means abstaining from food, that's the basic level understanding of fasting, abstaining from food for a period of time for the purpose of either grieving or lament because something has happened and we, we literally decide to not eat, almost to just be in solidarity with that grieving and lament. Uh, sometimes it's solidarity with suffering of what's going on in the world, like even right now what's going on in the Middle East, you know, there's, there's good reason to say we are going to in solidarity with the poor and those who are oppressed and those who are being affected by This and we, you know, we're going to fast to be in solidarity with what's happening, and then pray alongside. And and obviously, that prayer, abstaining from food for a period of time for prayer specifically, and that's something we'll get to in a couple of weeks. Um, There's a fourth century church leader. His name was Basil. And uh, one of the Cappadocian fathers now in modern day Turkey. And he writes this in the fourth century. And he, so the word fasting, he kind of references that as a female voice. So he says this Fasting gives birth to prophets, she strengthens the powerful. Fasting makes lawgivers wise. She is a safeguard for the soul, a steadfast companion for the body, a weapon for the brave, and a discipline for champions. Fasting repels temptations, anoints for godliness. She is a a companion for sobriety, a crafter of a sound mind. In wars, she fights bravely. In peace, she teaches tranquility. What a, a beautiful kind of picture of the effect, the possible effect of fasting in one's life. Ultimately, what we're after especially today, is that we ultimately fasting helps us grow closer to God. It's one of these disciplines, and I'll explain why, and obviously deeper in the next couple of weeks. There's a more recent author, his name is John Mark Comer, and he, he does really well at distilling some authors over the last 50 years or so. But he says this, he talks about fasting as one of the best disciplines we have to reintegrate our minds to our body and offer our whole selves to God in surrender. And I think that's, that's a great description of that. At the heart of it, and our, for our purposes today, the practice of fasting, it really fuels our devotion, our devotion to God, our surrender to God, um, a heart that would long for God, a heart that would long to be devoted to Him, surrendered to Him, attentive to Him. That's, that's, that's the result we're after when we think about fasting, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul tells the Roman church, and he doesn't mention fasting, but there's an underlining um, foundation here of what, like our heart, our motivation. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This sense of offering our whole selves. So that when we, our longings, our mind, our body, our soul would long for the same things and ultimately be an expression of worship. We sang today worship, we listened to Scripture as part of our worship, we prayed, but we, we don't want to just leave it in these pockets. We're saying like, Lord, we want our whole selves to worship you, our whole selves to be present to you. And I think that's partly what Paul is after uh, in this phrase to the Roman church. So fasting then becomes this spiritual practice that is really well suited to help you and me, to help our bodies come into alignment with our soul's hunger. It's, it's, it's like we, we want our bodies to feel something so our souls will be reminded of it, and our soul's hunger to also be in tune with with, in tune with our body. And so there's this alignment that we're after when we think of fasting. Now, if you fasted before, you probably know the growls, right? You know the growls, like, you know, maybe some of us have different growls because all of our stomachs might be different. But like, and you've been beside someone whose stomach growls and they're like, I'm so sorry, I'm just really hungry and, or whatever, right? And so, so there's, you know, you've, you've heard or felt the growls. At times it's like your stomach is screaming at you, feed me. You know, feed me. I'm, I'm really desperate right now. When you're, when, you know, like you have to take a blood test and like you can't eat until that blood test, and then all of a sudden your mind can't stop thinking about food and you start thinking about all the food you love and you can't wait to eat after that. Like your mind gets absorbed with just wanting to eat. And um, in the early stages of, uh, of fasting, uh, you know, when you're not practiced with it, you get anxious, you get irritated. Like fasting people that aren't, you know, used to it, are irritating people. They, ir- they get irritated because they're hungry, and it bugs them. But here's the beautiful thing. Hunger is why fasting is so powerful. Hunger is why fasting is so powerful, because it reminds us of our ultimate hunger for God. Our, the hunger that we begin to experience when we fast reminds us of our ultimate hunger for God. Now, Jesus assumed fasting as a spiritual practice, and I want to read from Matthew chapter 6, a couple of verses in the beginning and then later on. And, and this is a really important text because this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this is a, a passage of Scripture where is one of the key blocks of teaching in Matthew's gospel. Um, it's one of the more famous teachings of Jesus. But right in the middle of it, uh, we read here these first two verses and, uh, where, where Jesus says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, now before we continue, the heart of what Jesus is going to say in chapter 6 or in this section is about not bragging about your spiritual practices. It's, 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 I call them spiritual posers or religious posers, just to show off their devotion. Like, I've given today, I've prayed today, I fasted this week, and I want all of you to know about it. And so Jesus is, is going against that as he starts this passage. And he actually writes about giving, praying, or speaks about giving, praying, and fasting and recorded by Matthew. But then he goes on, later on, as he, after he speaks about giving in prayer, in verse 16, and here's the verse, he says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. But truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, Put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I think this is really key. Twice we read Jesus saying, When you fast, he doesn't say if you fast, he doesn't say, He doesn't even say you should fast, but he's making an assumption when you fast and he's speaking to people who would have had the custom of fasting. He's assuming that they're fasting as a practice, and it would have been normal for a first century Jew to fast. And Jesus and his disciples would have been familiar with fasting within Judaism. The Old Testament had one main day of fasting a year. It was was the Day of Atonement, and that was the main day of fasting. And then over time, there were other fasts that Israel would put in you know, started to practice. Sometimes it was a fast to help them remember a certain era. Sometimes it was a fast that helped them, um, you know, intercede for what's going on in the present. Um, But we read some of those fasts in the Old Testament. Now, there's three kinds of fasts generally in Scripture, and generally, I think, as normal. One is a normal fast, and normal fast is just like not eating food. If you read the account of Jesus in the wilderness, it says that He didn't eat food for 40 days in the desert, Not that he didn't eat or drink. In fact, when Satan tempts him, he doesn't doesn't tempt him with water, he tempts him with bread. Jesus was refraining from food. That's a normal fast, uh, a sense of not eating eating food. Then there's an absolute fast, which we only see a couple of times in Scripture where the situation is so grave or the desire is so desperate or possibly it's prompted by the Lord that the person refrains from food and water. And that's actually a health hazard. And so it should never be done unless it's either truly, truly, truly from the Lord and that, and, and that He will supernaturally sustain you. So in other words, don't try that at home. All right? That's not the deal. Then there's a partial fast. And that's just restricting yourself from certain foods. And if you're familiar with the stories of the Old Testament, Daniel, in the book of Daniel, him and his friends were in Babylon, and they, they, were, they, they, they wanted to... to um, to learn how to be separate from what was going on in their culture. So they decidedly restricted themselves from, from the wine and the alcohol and the luxury food items like meat and such. And they said, you know what? We're, gonna, we're just going to eat vegetables and water uh, for the next few days. Don't worry. You can grab that. <laughs> um, so, so that was Daniel. They, they just restricted themselves. And when you read that, you find that they just... Um, focused on vegetables and water, and that was it. And it was a way for them, maybe we should just wait. <laughs> you need to find your phone. Yeah, maybe. You want to help her, Natalia? Yeah. <laughs> there we go. What is
0: going on? <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: Woo-hoo, you got it. Thank you. you good. You're going to go for silent mode now, maybe for the <laughs> rest? Uh, <let's>, okay, <laughs> It's good. All right, where's Stephanie? We all take a breath. We'll just take a breath and we'll. (laughs) Okay, normal, absolute, partial fast. We're not going to go into them deeply today, but that's the kind of variety there. But what's important here with Jesus is, interestingly, Jesus doesn't challenge their practice. He challenges the how of it and the why. He doesn't say stop fasting. He doesn't say you should, and he says when you fast, and then he challenges the how of it, and he says, and I don't think, maybe we didn't, yeah, we did read that part, so we'll, we'll go back to that, where he says, don't look dismal like hypocrites, or don't look so somber as the hypocrites we read in this version. Jews had a habit of, if they were fasting, sometimes some would just stop shaving, Um, they wouldn't put like the ointment perfumes that was around during that time because people didn't have, you know, showers as we have today. They kind of stopped cutting their hair. And when I say shaving, I don't mean like we shave, but I mean kind of trimming their beard and things like that and and other ways. So they stopped that. So it brought attention to themselves during the fast. So someone's walking down the street and is like, Frank, Sandra, you guys look horrible today. And they're like, we're fasting and so that was that was kind of what Jesus is getting at, and and it brought attention to them during this fast. Jesus is saying, "Stop showing off, stop showing off while you fast." The, in the Greek, both those words together come together as "gloomy hypocrite," gloomy hypocrite. And the word "hypocrite" is the word for actor. Stop acting so gloomy. Stop stop trying to show the world that you're fasting. Now, that doesn't mean that some people can't know we're fasting. It doesn't mean that there's not a community of people that knows we're fasting. That early church document, you know, encouraged the church to fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. That was a decision. It wasn't forced in Scripture, but it was a decision. That was a communal decision. What Jesus is getting at here is you're not here to tell everybody You're not here to show off your spiritual disciplines. Instead, Jesus is saying, wash up, get dressed, put some deodorant on, and keep fasting between you and God and whoever else you've decided to do this with. And that's it. And so Jesus is getting at that because he's not not coming against the practice, but the how and the why and the motive behind it. On the flip side, something we find interesting later in Matthew's Gospel chapter 9 is that John's disciples are noticing that Jesus' disciples aren't fasting. And they come and ask, like, hey, Jesus, why aren't your disciples fasting? And it's an interesting uh, scene because, I mean, J- Jesus could have said, like, John, I fasted 40 days. Don't you remember that? I mean, you baptized me and then I went to the desert. You have to remember, I, bro, I'm the best faster <laughs> of all the fasters. In our, in our region, I fast the best. I fast the most. I've done it for 40 days. What have you guys done? Like, Jesus didn't do that, right? He, he just, he keeps quiet like Matthew 7, you know, describes. But then he does, he does say this. Then John's disciples came. They asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them then they will fast. And there was something in Jewish culture anticipating a wedding when they would often like, oh, the bridegroom's not here, the bridegroom's not here. Let's, it's a moment of fasting until they feast. This is a little unique. Jesus is saying like, why would my disciples fast when the bridegroom is here? And there's an imagery in all of Scripture that Jesus, uh, you know, we are the bride of Christ. And so that's partly here uh, leaning into that. But he's saying like, well, when I'm gone, they're going to fast. Because I'm here, and now is a time to lean in, and to learn, and to celebrate. Now, he could could have meant the time between his death and resurrection, because that would have been a time of mourning. But then we do see in the New Testament that the disciples later, post the resurrection, are practicing fasting. So it can't just mean that time period. So it seems to mean the best possible option is that his disciples will fast once Jesus ascends into, into heaven, God's space, until one day he returns for a wedding feast in new creation. And in that time period, that's the moment that his disciples will lean into the practice of fasting as a way to prepare for Christ's return. And so what we're learning from Jesus here is not that fasting is some specific command on a specific day of the week that you have to do in this way, in this way, in that way, but we are seeing from Jesus it's such an important assumption that it undergirds how they grow in their devotion to the Lord, that it's part of their practice, that it's part of their their formation, that it's part of how they learn to eventually abide in Christ. Richard Foster, who writes on spiritual discipline, says, for the person longing for a more intimate walk with God, Jesus' words are drawing words. And so we might ask, well, when is the time to fast? And it's, we're in this period. We're in this between the ascension of Jesus and the second coming of Christ when he would return. And one day that means, I mean literally Revelation talks about it as a feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. But in between is a time we're waiting for his return. We're seeking him. We're growing in Him. We're growing in our devotion to Him. We're partnering in prayer. We're depending on the Spirit's power uh, in our life and the Spirit's presence in our life. And then you couple that with fasting in the New Testament, which we'll look at in the next couple of weeks as well, where the early church continued this fast, and even a biweekly fast, and leaders throughout church history. And what do we have? We have this practice that reflects a hunger for God. It reflects a hunger to be devoted to the Lord. A hunger for devotion, a hunger for worship, a hunger to abide in Christ, a hunger to feed on God, a hunger for His Word and for His presence. And while Jesus doesn't specifically tell us when we should fast or how we should fast, there's something underneath all this that helps us understand that fasting is like a catalyzer. Fasting is like a catalyzer that when we fast from food, it heightens the beauty and purpose and power of the kind of food that truly sustains our soul. We read that Jesus is the bread of life. We read in the scriptures that we're called to feed on God's word. Jesus tells his disciples when they're looking for food, he's like, don't you know that our food, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me? In other words, there's a different kind of food, not physical food, but there's a different kind of sustenance for those who follow Jesus that is not just physical. And, and fasting catalyzes that. Fasting heightens that in us. And here's, here's the beauty of it, especially if you've come to see fasting as negative or extreme fanaticism, and in some cases they were. But here's the beauty of it. Fasting really becomes feasting. Fasting really becomes feasting because you begin to feast on the Lord. When Paul says that you would know a love that surpasses knowledge, when we read that we will know a hope that surpasses our circumstances, when we read about how God's Word sustains us and fills us and guides us, fasting catalyzes something in us where it makes space for us to feast on something that truly sustains us. That's the the heart of it. And so my question as we just start out this week is, are you hungry for God? I don't even want to know if you're fasting. I just want to, that's the question I want to know is, are you hungry for God? Fasting is a way, a practice to catalyze that, to make room for that. But the bigger question is, are you, are we, am I hungry for God to grow deeper in Him, to grow more immersed in His purposes, in His will, in His presence? Are you hungry in a way that you would, think about this now, are you hungry in a way that you would forfeit food temporarily just to waken up your spirit to a hunger for Him? Do you hunger for Him so much that you would be willing to forfeit food temporarily just to waken up your spirit in that way? So we're invited to fast, not as a religious ritual, but as a joyful hunger for more of God. That's what we really long for when we think about this practice and other practices. Do we hunger for more of God? Do we want to catalyze our hearts and our minds towards that hunger? Do we want to make room as we fast so we can truly feast on God in ways that this practice leads us towards and makes space for? And we're going to talk in the next few weeks about you know how fasting can shape our hearts and our minds towards holiness. How fasting can grow, uh, be partnered with prayer. For how fasting also plays a part in what it means to to pursue justice uh, in in our world. But just just for today, we want, I want to start with this hunger, and uh, and and I want to invite you to to practice this, to to start this. What is it? What what might it look like for your life? And so it could look like a couple of things. Um, if we just think about the normal fast, it w- you could just say, I'm not going to eat this meal, and I'm going to stay away from this meal. I think um, uh, maybe a more a traditional or practiced way of fasting as a start, it can be a meal, but it can also be normally like a 24-hour period where you eat supper on a, on a Tuesday night, and then you choose to fast from food until Wednesday supper. And so. Uh, where after supper, you just, you wait until the next day's supper to eat, and that becomes a choice where you're saying, I'm I'm going to refrain from eating food, not drinking, I'm going to refrain from eating food for this 24-hour period from after this supper time to the next supper time, and I'm going to make space for God in my life in a unique way. I'm going to allow the hunger that starts to grow inside my body to remind me of my hunger for God. And if the Lord has placed on your heart for things to pray for or intercede for or to maybe even grieve over in the world, that can become part of your fast. And I think one of the helpful things, not mandated things, is to choose a day. Because when we choose a day and we, we slowly become consistent with that, it makes fasting easier. And the irritation and anxiety that happens in that I tried fasting once and I hated it or I couldn't, it start, as you start to grow in it, you actually start to be less distracted and more attentive to the Lord. And so while it's not prescribed that you have to do it this way, communally or as a person, you can decide, I want to I I practice this. And uh, like the main goal here is that your desire for food would point to your desire for God. One of the things I'd encourage you to do if you choose to fast is don't just say, oh, great, I can do more work at lunchtime. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. I can, like, get some more emails done or I can make some phone calls or get some extra reading done or whatever the case is. No, no, no. Like, the idea of fasting is actually doing less, is actually taking something off the table, off your plate, and then making room for you to be present with the Lord. It do- also doesn't mean you have to pray for a whole hour during your meal, but to not just replace it with work and chores and extra items and knowledgeable things, is like, no, no, I'm going to make room for God. Maybe it's a prayer walk. Maybe it's I'm going to immerse myself in Scripture. Uh, maybe it's, you know what, I'm going I'm to write down three or four people that the Lord brings to my mind. I'm going to pray for them during this time. Um, I'm going to take time to worship. I think it's really important to then take that time of fasting to lean into God in, in a way that maybe even your time to eat doesn't allow you to. Richard Foster says this, one of the most important things to monitor when we fast is the attitude of our hearts. Outwardly, you will be performing the regular duties of your day, but inwardly, you will be in prayer and adoration, in song and worship, and in a new way, cause every task of the day to be a sacred ministry to the Lord. However mundane your duties for you, they become a sacrament i'm going to ask the team to come up as we slowly close our gathering here's my here's my hope for us i'm inviting us to 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 attempt this practice like we read and i don't want to and, and i really feel biblically i don't feel i should say you should fast this day and this day and this day for four weeks straight but we can choose as a community for spiritual formation and for the sake of us growing in our hunger for God, we can say, we want to be the kind of people that practices fasting. We want to grow in this. And so I want to invite you to, to, to consider this, even starting this week, and to consider fasting together, uh, and, and to consider that, to know that other people are doing it. Not that you have to tell them, hey, did you, by the way, I fasted yesterday. Did you do that? Text buddy. I don't mean that but that we together will know, hey, there's a few people in our church community all together hungry for God. And um, if it's just our little secret, right, we could, we could take Wednesday as a day of fasting. And, and after Tuesday night's dinner, choose I'm going to fast until Wednesday dinner. Now, I'm not a doctor. I don't know your medical history. Please don't do anything that's unhealthy. And if you struggle in some ways um, with with actually not eating or there's some dietary issues like that 's something that uh, i 'm not telling you to to like look like you don't you don't just ignore that okay um, so that's important, just so you know that, but that if we would just come together and say, "Oh, imagine we would know even if we don 't know each person but we'd know as, as a as a community we're growing in this we're 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 gonna we're gonna attempt this together uh, to grow in this, and if maybe for the first week you can only do you know one one meal, that's okay. Again, it's just it's starting in that way, and to be able to do that. But here's my hope: that every time your brain tells you that you're hungry, every time you know that our stomachs tell us that we need to eat before we really need to eat. <laughs> that's why someone can actually go three days without food. Um, and or 40 days even without food if they drink water but our stomachs tell us cuz our stomachs are used to getting fed so when our stomach growls our body doesn't actually like need food desperately so it's it's a, they're kind of fooling us a bit like our stomachs are kind of fooling us a bit but so but but here's the thing when every time your brain tells you that you're hungry allow that to become this brief moment where you offer yourself in devotion to the lord even if it's a whisper prayer Even if it's just like, oh, I feel hungry. Okay, God, man, this hunger is just getting the best of me. But God, I want to tell you how hungry I am for you. Lord, just in this brief moment, God, would you draw me so close to you? Open up my eyes through my day so I can see you in places that I've missed you. That's the beauty of this practice. It's not a ritual. It's not where you place it on the calendar. It's making space for God and growing in our hunger for him and devotion for him. We're going to pray and um, the team's going to just lead us in one of the verses or choruses we sang today. But I'm going to invite you to stand as we pray. And without... Um, fasting is a practice, but we're going to just take a moment and just offer ourselves to the Lord. As Paul writes, we would offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God. It's their spiritual act of worship. So let's take a moment and offer ourselves fully to Him. in your own words. Express your hunger, your desire for him. If you're new or visiting or unfamiliar with faith or Christianity, you can just take this moment to even bring your questions to God. Lord, who are you? I would love to know you more. Father we um, offer ourselves to you and we know as human beings um, we really both appreciate and struggle with patterns and rhythms and rituals we appreciate them because they help guide us and shape us and help us make priorities and sometimes we can struggle with them because they can feel like they're, it's a burden placed on us God we just we want to clear our minds and our hearts of all of that and just tell you that we hunger for you we long to grow in devotion to you and help us to see this spiritual practice of fasting as referenced in Jesus as his words invite us may we also assume that fasting is a means of grace to feast on you so God that's my prayer my hope for each of us as we discern and, and make a step possibly even this week to, 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 to attempt this maybe something we've never tried before God, may you help us see that by removing for temporarily this food consumption from our lives even for a few hours that we make room to feast on you as we grow in our devotion to you, Lord. And help us, empower us by your Holy Spirit. Lead us, guide us, give us discernment. Because we want to become a people that are hungry for you.
0: In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you, ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.